motherfunkers. It's time for you, motherfunkers. This is your time. Shirley, do you think I look quite weatherbeaten and haggard? Be honest. I, um, I know there's some sort of filter on you right now. You look a bit fatigued. A little bit fatigued. Yeah, that means rough. It's because it's, yeah. it's so windy and I've been on my busy plat. You should look rougher, actually. Considering. By all, considering all things, you should look rougher and you don't. So you're doing whatever you're doing, you're doing, you're doing well. Um, yes, it's very windy out there. Very, very windy. Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Now, you know, my son has started repeating what your son calls him. So for the purposes of this episode, I will tell the ladies and gents and those who identify as other that my son's name is Dash. Short for Dashall. And Shirley's son calls him Dishdash. Just always has. Which is possibly. a traditional Arabic, sort of the um, the Arabic dress that the men wear, sort of the long, you can see it in, in the Emiratis, especially the long, cool, white dresses. They're called a dishdash. Is that in, their in official name? Yeah. Okay. They, they go, I'm sure they go by other names as well, but it's dishdash. And that's what we've always called your son. So now he started calling himself dishdash. But it's so his first word is dishdash. Although I know he's had he's, he's had got a, a couple of other words, words, but not many. Probably about three. Um, so he, so if he wants something, he'll pick up an apple and say dishdash. He'll pick up a point to a stall and say dishdash. So yes, he now calls himself dishdash. So that's nice, isn't it? Slowly, slowly, they are learning from one another. Although it is not actually his name, but who cares? It, and, and not accurate. It's it's fantastic because it's exactly like what we do. We learn from each other, and it's always inaccurate, absolute and, nonsense, um, unfounded, and it's a complete nonsense. A complete nonsense. So good. Uh, as I, my friend the other day was saying, I've been listening to your fod- podcast. It's really good fun. I said, I said, you know, I get, but I said it's not very. It's not, you know, we don't really inform anything. She no. goes, Darling, there's BBC sounds for that. Exactly. That's not why I listen That's to Mother That's not why we listen to your tosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you, you just have to own it. You do. Don't you? Have you been watching anything unlike fun? The person we, unlike the person we've got on today. Oh my oh, well, gosh, yes, today. before sorry, I go sorry. on. No, 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 sorry. I was going to keep going, but I won't. You're absolutely right. Um, we interviewed the wonderful Viv Groscott a couple of weeks ago. And... Um, no, it was, she's it was, our, yeah, she's the highbrow to our lowbrow. She is the highbrow to our lowbrow. And actually, as you will notice, as I was writing the introduction for her, it was very difficult to edit because she's such an overachiever, is she not, Shirley? She is, she is. I was a bit, I was a bit sort of, um, I was in awe. I was in awe. It, not, in, not in awe enough to silence me because I go on, but um, I, was, I was nonetheless in awe. Well, she's just she's so... She's an impressive woman. She is very so impressive. Young. She is very, very impressive. And that's the thing. She sort of said, you know... But anyway, I, we won't we won't give too much away. Um, so yes, without further ado, I think Shirley, let's give it up for our interview with the wonderful Viv Groskop. It's quite intimidating to introduce our next guest, as she has her own chart-topping podcast, How to Own the Room, in which she waxes lyrical with some of the most extraordinary women. From Julie Andrews to Margaret Atwood and Nigella to hotshot mother and daughter duo Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. She is a writer, comedian, TV and radio presenter. She's written two plays, five books and what's more, if she wanted to, she could do it all in Russian. It is our great pleasure to welcome Renaissance woman and mother to three, Viv Groskop. <laughs> Hello, Viv. Welcome. <laughs> Oh, thank so lovely you. to have you on. I'm very excited to be here. 
gosh, you're impressive, aren't you? Five minutes. I know you really are. You really are. I'm just old, and I <laughs> and I've been busy for many years. That's it. Have you? Did you start young? Um. Well, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I got married when I was 25 and I had my first baby when I was 29 and I've been, yeah, working since I was 21. So, yeah. Yeah, You started, you sorted your shit out. It's over 25 years of uh, of activity. Getting on with it, yeah. yeah. Getting your head down. (laughs) We just had 20 years in the abyss. But no, I, know. I know we really did just kicking back and doing very little Shirley and myself Viv um I don't know if you know this you may do but Shirley and myself both gave birth to baby boys about 19 months ago mm-hmm. they are 13 days apart some people ask whether we planned it and basically the answer is in short yes yes we did yes we did but the thing is, you have three children and a thriving career. And how does that work, please? What is your system? <laughs> system. Okay. Well, I have um, a 16-year-old, a son, who's called Will, who uh, is a vegan. Wow. That was not part of the system. Uh, I have a 13-year-old daughter, Vera, and I have a 9-year-old uh, called Jack. And what do I want to impart that's going to be useful about a system? I mean, I, I well, think I think the thing that's been useful for me that's maybe different for, for some people is that ever since I have had children and actually probably two or three years before I had children, I was freelance. So I've always mm-hmm. been independent, creative, just doing their own thing, trying to make it work. I've never had to be anywhere at any time. I'm always completely in control of my own time. So I do recognize that my experience is probably, you know, it's probably going to be relevant for you two, but it's not relevant for a lot of people because... I, I just knew when I was in my mid-20s and I was working in newspapers and I saw women trying to manage having a job and having a family, you know, this was like in the late 90s, I saw it just, it just didn't work. And I thought, I, no. I just, I can't do that to myself. And I knew I didn't, I don't really like working for anyone anyway. So I made sure that I had myself set up as a freelance who's in charge of their own time before I had children. So the downside of that is that obviously no regular income, nothing's ever guaranteed. My whole life, like 25 years on, is still really, really unpredictable. But I like it that way. And it Mm. means I get to choose how it all works. I've never taken any maternity leave. Uh, I've worked right, you know, right through. But that would mean like I worked all the time that my babies were sleeping. So you've got to be good with your time. That's, that's a bit of a system, isn't it? You've got to be, you know, you don't have any idle hours. No, I was always quite disciplined, I suppose, about finding time to work because it really mattered to me. And I knew that if I didn't find that time and more importantly, find the money, you know, I had mm. to put in the hours to make the money, then I was going to push myself into the position where I had to get a job. And that was the last thing I wanted. So I always felt this real impetus to make it work so that I wouldn't have to get a job. That is the only reason because (laughs) I think you need more credit somewhere because I mean, I've, 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 it's been an absolute pleasure actually to have you in my, um, um, in my room, actually, I've, I've been reading how, how to own the room this past week. I can highly recommend it for anyone who needs to kick up the arse. No, thank you. Because it was, it's a much needed, you know, I really felt like you were giving me a telling off, you know, stand up straight, stop fidgeting, breathe through your feet. And probably most importantly, (laughs) stop making excuses, which I think so many of us do. And it just stops us from moving to the next step. 
And um, and I think a lot of the time we make excuses because we lack that confidence and that self-belief that you talk about a lot about in the book. And where does something like that come from? I mean, you know, you, we talk about greatness isn't, you know, you're not born with it, you can learn it. But where do you think you learn learned that sort of confidence from to be able to do all the things you do? I think I learned a lot of it from getting things wrong and failing quite badly like for example when I started out in stand-up and and being quite humiliated (laughs) quite badly and also in my writing taking an awful lot of rejection because Mm. that is just what is part and parcel of that job you can't really do without it if you're going to be successful then you're going to be putting so much stuff out there that a lot of it is going to get rejected you can't just cherry pick the good bits so learning that over time and learning that a lot of those things are not particularly a reflection on you I mean obviously if you're consistently failing at something and everybody's hating you and throwing tomatoes at you on stage then maybe you yeah exactly maybe get the message you know um so don't be totally masochistic about things but I think over time you just learn that if you want to do anything interesting then it involves a degree of risk and that's going to involve a degree of failure. And that isn't necessarily a reflection on you as a person. It just means you have to do it again better or you have to try a slightly different way or maybe it's not just the right time for you right now. Um, It doesn't mean to say that I still don't get, I get really, really upset and knocked back and um, I take it just as hard as anyone else would. But I know that if I feel that way, it's just because I'm having a bad day or I haven't had enough to eat. Yeah, food usually. Or, food or, or I haven't yeah, that's often yes. too. Yeah, so I think it does come over time. I wish I could have felt like that when I was 21. Um, and then maybe I wouldn't have started in stand-up so late. You know, I was definitely afraid to fail all through my 20s and most of my 30s. And then by the time I had more or less three children, kind of two and a half children. Uh, In between the second and the third child, I started performing stand-up. And I just think Mm -hmm. becoming a parent gave me that real rush of, like, time's running out. Like, we're not here forever. You have to do what you want with your life. It, It doesn't matter if you fail at it. It doesn't matter if other people think it's stupid. If it matters to you, you have to do it. You're right. I think it does put things into perspective once you start once you start having a children. You know, we've only got one and it does. Obviously, you're much more ruthless with your time and, and friends and everything. Really interesting because you did 100 gigs in 100 consecutive nights, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I think that must have Which been maybe amazing. just before I met you that was in 2011 so I did was that when you had two and a half yeah so I did stand up for the first time uh in 2009 and I did quite a few gigs then I was doing the circuit a bit and I went to Edinburgh for the first time as a punter to try and work out okay what would it look like if I did an Edinburgh show and then that I had two children then um I had Vera and Will and they were about four and two and that year did you take them with you no I didn't I went away I think probably for about a week on my own yeah yeah and that summer I was pregnant but I had a miscarriage and that put me back in 
all of this thinking a long way for a while and I didn't want to do comedy I actually did these really embarrassing awful gigs just after I'd had a miscarriage where I decided I do have quite a black sense of humor and I rather like your good selves if I may say so (laughs) and I decided it would be a really good and hilarious idea to go on stage and make jokes about miscarriage which I still think is a genius idea if somebody could make it work but as you can imagine the audience did not think it was funny and they were you know either feeling really sorry for me or just really disturbed you know it's really hard to do that kind of comedy where you want to talk about something difficult but you don't want to make the audience feel sorry for you because if they feel sorry for you they won't laugh Um, yeah so I did these sort of awful gigs with my hilarious miscarriage jokes which were mostly along the lines of like you know good news I've lost weight bad news it's because I had a miscarriage (laughs) I mean it's so bad it's so bad bad. I mean it's hard isn't it yeah it's really hard so I did that and then I kind of swore off uh going on stage for about six months because I just kind of wasn't sure who I was anymore and then I got pregnant with my third child, Jack, and um, that was all a very happy, good news story. And I started doing stand-up again when I was really, really heavily pregnant with him. And I did these also really, really awful, awful gigs where I was, um, I used to sing um, a tune to, uh, the words were to, that's not my name. Do you remember that? Oh, that's it. not my name. Yes. And it you was basically it. Th- uh, something like, they call me, they call me beach ball. They call me bowling ball. <laughs> that's not my name. <laughs> it was so bad. Ass. That's not my name. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, but I was humongously, hugely pregnant. I always looked as if I was going to have triplets with all of my babies. And I was just bouncing around the stage, getting people to laugh at me. Um, everyone loves a pregnant lady that's they do like to they like license to laugh at a pregnant lady because there isn't very much license in real life to laugh at pregnant ladies quite a lot of people are doing it now using it as part of their shtick old amy schumer ali wong shelly and shelly yeah ali wong is so good at it yeah yeah it's um well yeah i think it's great that people can do that and it is funny you know there's so much about all of that bodily stuff that is just so ridiculous so ridiculous and so unjust as well <laughs> and no one talks about it so true mm-hmm. and you did you you mentioned that and, you had your children without um pain relief and yes. as one of the things of you know if you write five things that you're really proud of and that could be just getting out of bed or you know managing to put a fresh pair of knickers on um or it could be something a bit more heroic like giving birth without pain killers and I do I mean sadly I'm not in that bracket of people I took everything under the sun and uh, and and then some but I can imagine something like that if you want once you do that and Pascal you did that didn't you you went with it yeah I went bareback as well you, did you but I didn't have much choice yeah I didn't have much choice it Neither was it I. was very country file it was very short and sharp really how sh- how short this is going to be five in earnest it was five oh. hours i went to the hospital at midnight and he came at five my friend and by the time this is yeah. the luxury of time that has not been afforded to me during any birth Actually, i've done f- four hours is my longest oh stop my it goodness. was that with your that first? was the first Just the second one on. In four hours, well, yeah, it was quite a tricky one, that one. Uh, the second one second was one? one hour and the last one was 40 minutes. Um, and did you give birth at home for the for any For of the them? second one, I gave birth at home because I was told I would have a car birth. Yeah. And mm. seriously, Pascal, if you have another one, 
you really yeah, need to in plan for it. Yeah, plan for it. Unless, I mean, there's there's always cases where actually, if the baby's back to back, then it's going to be a longer labour. You know, it's not guaranteed that you'll always have a fast labour. But no, but they did say to me, they said you gave birth like a giraffe. We do suggest if you ever go again, you must stay at home. Amazing. That's great. Yeah. So but, I, you did you have gas and air at least? No, because I didn't know how it oh worked. Oh my god, you didn't even have gas and air. I did have gas no. and air. I didn't know how it worked. It came so quickly. But it doesn't touch the sides, Viv. When you've taken what we've taken in our lifetimes, gas and air does not touch the sides. <laughs> I said, hit me with the good stuff. And actually, that's the last recreational drug I've taken, the epidural. And I said, you know, I've had a good time. I've had a good time in my, in my life. And now, the epidural, that's the last. And I remember just being so giddy and delighted and thrilled. And I just said, I'm going out with a bang. And I got the baby and all was well in the end. And I have not touched any sort of recreational drug since. And I don't intend to because now my, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my head down because, yes, I have got. It's amazing how insignificant you, you are once you have a child. All this sort of yeah. self-importance you place on yourself. Like, yes, everyone's thinking about me and how I'm embarrassing myself and making a tit of myself. No one gives a shit. And least of all, your child. I mean, you are so second citizen. It's, it's untrue. So, you know, unless you go out there and make yourself heard or seen, no one cares and no one's going to, you know, do it for you. The book just completely reiterates that. My only regret about your book is that I didn't read it earlier, that you didn't write it earlier, Viv. Um, because it's, <laughs> it, no, it's, it's such a vital book for anyone who wants to, you know, whether, yeah, whether you're giving a, a chat in... Um, in, in your office or wanting to do stand-up or something else yeah a TED talk as you say just every every woman needs to read this every woman and every man oh yeah well thank, um, thank you I'm so glad that you think that it's it's interesting I do have one important disclaimer about how to own the room and having yeah. seen you guys on stage and what you do I do think that it's important for people to realize that there don't have to be rules in performance. Like How to Own the Room has a lot of kind of pseudo rules in it of, you know, stand like this, breathe like this, do this, do that. And for someone like you guys or anybody who's doing something very creative um, on stage, you absolutely don't need to do any of those things. Um, It's really designed for people who don't feel comfortable about going on stage don't necessarily want to be there don't like that moment of everybody turning and looking at you and making it about you that's me it's every time trying... I go on stage no you, are you really yes. like that because you you guys are so free on stage no but it, you do need that like we, we do it took us all a long time to get we, there though. Right. I mean it, in terms of years this week has marked our 13th year as being a duo oh my goodness we mark it like an anniversary um, and it's taken us a long time to get to where we've got to. And actually, it's only in the last couple of years, actually only since we sort of got up the duff or thought about getting up the duff that we actually went into stand-up. Before, it was just sketch. Yeah. But it was only, you know, once you sort of, as you know, once you have got something to talk about, you, you take to the stage. But it took us a long time to find that, not that freedom on stage, but, you know, the fact that we're so comfortable, with, too comfortable with each other on stage. But, you know, it does take a long time. And it's really good, the fact that you equip people with these tips. You know, I think it really, because you take on board what you find is useful to you and then get rid of anything else. I've been listening to our podcast. I'm just going to, you know, How to Own a Room, which is Bib's brilliant podcast where she talks to some of the most impressive women in the world who share their tips about brilliant speaking. Um, and if you haven't already subscribed, do, do. subscribe. Make sure you do. Do subscribe. 
but it is great. I've been listening to lots of different people, um, some who I was aware of, others who I, haven't, who I wasn't aware of at all. And I wanted to know, Viv, because you've done lots, many, many, who was the most surprising slash controversial of all of your guests? Easily Petra Massey. I don't know if you've listened okay. to her yet. Pe- Petra Massey her. is a clown. She is, mm. and I don't want you to think that, you know, she goes around wearing big shoes and, and a no, red, no, no. red nose um, <laughs> with a squirty flower. I'd love a squirty flower, actually. Um, she's a clown as in the traditional old school physical mm. clowning, like Cirque du Soleil, mm. although she's a, she's a comedian. So she, she does kind of Cirque du Soleil type clowning, but for comic effect. And she's in this troupe called Spy Monkey. She's, I think she's in Las Vegas at the moment doing a show. And she's an extraordinary woman. And she is in her, I think, mid-50s. But she looks about 21. And she has the body of a gymnast. And she just has this extraordinary ability to occupy space and exude presence with her physicality and what I loved about that interview was that it was really showing what I'd always wanted to do with the podcast which is to say this is not about turning you into some sort of special public speaker so that you can pretend to be Boris Johnson and be doing debating at Eton like that whole idea of public speaking I think is a nightmare and really puts people off and I I wanted it to be much more about you know how do you bring your essence into the world and Petra Massey is so about that and she just she told a lot of stories that we couldn't broadcast because they were so filthy but she also told an extraordinary story that is on the podcast about her first act as a performer and in the sort of performance space that she works in there are some acts that you can buy off other people so she bought this escapology act off another person and it involves enclosing yourself in a rucksack oh my gosh um padlocking it no, getting someone on the outside to padlock no, it and then you escape from it. And that was her first act. And talking about, you know, how you learn to do that, how you learn to manage a crowd around you when you're doing that, how you manage your breathing, what do you do if you escape from your rucksack and, like, nobody applauds? What, what happens if you don't escape from the rucksack? Well, that's what I worry about. I think that's why money changes hands um, between acts, because there's a secret that means that that won't happen. That's okay. kind of what the deal is. Um, but she, she's just, she was incredible. And I loved the fact that, you know, she's in her 50s and she's kind of only just really beginning to discover what she can do on stage. Wow, I'll definitely have a listen. I've heard of Spy Monkey. I have heard of Spy Monkey. Yeah, they're very cool. I went, I went to Lecoq where we did not that. We weren't racksacks, but we did have to do sort of six weeks of being sausage in a pan or, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. vodka or bubbling water. And do you remember, oh, Shirley? Just, Shirley so when she graduated from Lecoq in Paris, I used to come out every weekend <laughs> to see them. Eurostar was uh, travelling from Waterloo and it was only 15 quid and you could just walk up and get, yeah, a, get a ticket. She goes, go on, come down for the weekend. And I went, and then I had to watch all... All the Lecoq students do sausage in a pan. So self Oh my gosh, it was a killer. And then climbing over a wall, miming climbing over a wall. They were all rubbish at it. And there was a couple that were all right. But, you know. Some were very uh, good. The mimed ice skating was fantastic. If you got that right, Shirley. We've, we've used, used that. that and we have used shows. lots you of your um, clowning in our, in our sets, actually. It's been, yeah. it has been good. And you, you went to a few clowning workshops yourself, Viv. Yeah, Who I did. That? Well, I, 
I got obsessed with clowning after I yeah, I, get it. I did stuff with Dr. Brown. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Philip Burgers. He is amazing. I don't know what he's doing now, actually. I guess he probably would have been at Edinburgh this year. We, but We remember the first time we went to see Doc Brown in when, in one of the little hovels at the Underbelly. One of the, well, actually, it was one of the free venues. And there was about seven people. The tonic, just, just the, the tonic. tonic. There, was, it was, there was about seven people, including Shelley and myself. And it was very sweaty and very hot. And he had a very, very bad cold, if not influenza. He had the flu. And he was there yeah, with a suitcase, really bad. playing a very a, a sort of a clown that just stands there and does absolutely nothing for 20 minutes. And everyone just walked out and left him on his own. And in the end, we, we just walked up to him and said, do you need a Nurofen? And he said, yes, please, I'm very sweaty. <laughs> we gave him a Nurofen. And it wasn't until a few years later we saw him take the stage and win the award. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, it's that same guy yeah. who emptied a wow. room with his sweat well, we went, yeah, we went to see him three times subsequently, didn't we? In the same, same show. Yeah. That's the lovely thing about doing Edinburgh, actually. You can go and see someone in the beginning of the run, and it's totally different to the show you'll see at the end of their run. But watching someone's career like that, the same with Hannah Gadsby. You know, we used to go when there were six people in the audience, and it was just, you know, I always thought they were brilliant, but, you know... Yeah, same. I yeah, I saw Hannah Cadsby in two thousand and nine, the first time I ever went to Edinburgh. She was on a bill with Tiffany Stevenson. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And it we, it yeah. was, you know, very clearly her. I totally recognised her when I, I didn't I don't think I saw her again after that until she was massively famous. And it was obviously a completely different act. Yeah. And you realise that, you know, nothing ever has to stay as one thing. And, and, and nothing happens thing. overnight. Right. No success happens overnight. You have to, and that's, you know, that's someone, you know, working at their craft and, 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 and really working at it and going every year and trying things out. And But we yeah. only ever see them when they're famous and we think it's an overnight success, but it never is the case. It's a long boat it's to China. A long boat. But Viv, can I ask you, how much do you think that being a mother has shaped how you're writing, how you write and your comedy? Oh, that's such a good question. Because um, <sighs> we think about this a lot. You know? Yeah, I think in some way it put a rocket up me. Okay. <laughs> um, in that it's, it's shaped my career in really practical ways because, like I said before, I always wanted to maintain this independent life where nobody can say, you know, you can't go and see the school play or you can't go and do the school run today if you want to, or you have to be here or you have to be there. I never wanted to be that person who's having to choose um, between work and home. I wanted to be the person who says, you know, I'm working today because I want to, or I'm mm. taking this time off because I'm going to go to the sports day. Um, not because I think you're a bad mother if you don't go to those things. I mean, I really couldn't give a shit, you know, like it's yeah. it's up to your own individual, you know, way that you want to parent. I think if you never go to any of those things, I don't really think it even matters that much. If you have a great relationship with your child, who cares how you achieved it? Um, but for me, it was like almost a control thing that I knew that I was kind of too rebellious to work for anybody and that I'd really just grow to resent it. So having children really, really forced me to commit to that yeah. path. And I guess, yeah, I don't want to be like too philosophical and, and deep about it. Oh, don't hold back. I do think that um, you you feel pressure in some way to be a role model. Yeah. You know, yeah. you you 
you have to call yourself on your own bullshit. And that's one of the reasons I ended up doing performing and why I've ended up doing lots of the things that I've done is because I didn't want to be living some fake life yeah. of, you know, oh, you must do this to appear successful or you must do that or you must, you know, achieve this, that or the other. Like you, when you have kids, you, you're you pretty naked in front of them. Like they see through your bullshit yeah. and you find yourself saying things and thinking, do you really say that or do you really think that? Do you really act like that or are you just saying it? Mm. And you don't want to be the person who's like, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. So the whole kind of, so what are you going to do that is do as I do? <laughs> was was a big, yeah. big motivator for me. And it, it still is actually, especially now, you know, my two older ones are, are in their teens and they won't take any bullshit from me. You've um, taught them too well. Yeah. You need to pull back. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I th- you know, I think we all know that children see things that adults don't because we live in a sort of world of social editors and niceties and pretending that things are different than they are to, you know, ease the wheels of social interaction. But children see through yeah. that. Gosh. They are wise. They are wise yes. beyond their years. It's, it's healthy to have them around actually, whether they're yours or not, to have children in one's life is a good thing, I think. Yeah. We were yeah. Keep us in check. We were so reticent and then we just went for it. I know. I, I... How old were you both when you had your children? I was thirty seven. And I was forty and I and I do feel as though I left it a bit late. Not not because I there wasn't really an option to have them before, but I, I wish I was younger having my child. Me too, actually. Yeah. Well, it comes when it comes. Yeah. You know, when you're ready, you're ready. It's it's what was meant to yeah. be. And there are things... You are, I, you are yeah. so aware of time. It's the time yeah, now. Are. I want my time back. I want time to enjoy with him. I want time for myself. I all of a sudden know what I want to do more than ever. And time is tight. Have you guys talked to Jessica Foster Key? Because she's great yeah. on this. We haven't, no, yeah. we haven't interviewed her, but we, we know her of okay. old. We should get her on. She's great. Yeah, she's really great about the creative impetus yeah, that have a, becoming a parent gives to you. you know, I think it just makes you a bit more responsible in the best possible way. Because having previously thought probably that responsibility is boring, you learn that actually, no, responsibility is good because it means you can live however the hell you want to. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And now you have a really good reason to do that. You're absolutely right. She's right. She's right, Shells. I know. So wise, so baby. Wise, so wise. Viv. Oh, the wisdom is hard earned. <laughs> Gosh. Viv, if you ever do a podcast called How to Clear a Room, do you think you could get Shirley and I on? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to take you up on that because that is the best idea. <laughs> I always think, you know, what people really want to hear about is stories yeah, of disaster and on stage no, we, we death. We can help you out there. Yeah, I mean, and it's happened to all the best people, like you were saying about, you know, Dr. Brown. And that was probably how he built his act, was by clearing a room. Oh, true. And then gradually getting one person to stay, then two people. And then, you know, that's how <laughs> that's you build how you up something it. really authentic. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. And that is, I think it's a really great thing to talk about and for people to hear about. People want to, to know hear about that worse, it yeah, and, People always ask Well, that. it happens, but... But nothing really came of yeah. it. You know, that's the extraordinary thing is that when you do really well, really well and something amazing happens, like you get a show that gets loads of five star reviews, 
nothing actually happens yeah. as a result. <laughs> and if you get a, a show that has one and two star reviews or everybody hates, nothing really happens as a result of that yeah. either. It's only the, you know, the cumulative effect of all of these things over time add up to something. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Shirley, did you have some quick fire just to end our interview? Quick fires. Oh, yeah, quick fires. You just don't even need to think about it, Viv. <laughs> just, just whatever comes out first. Oprah Winfrey or Virginia Woolf? Oprah Winfrey. Chekhov or Shakespeare? Chekhov. Feminine or feminist? Feminist. There we are, correct. <laughs> Is that it? Three out of three. That's it. Just quick. Shirley loves her quick fire. Those are easy. Just, it's just quick fire. It just comes to my head and I say it. I'm just wondering who who would say feminine over feminist. I think that's a bit. I know, dodgy. but I could have I could have I could have stumbled you up, and you might have said feminine. There will be. You don't know. I, I knew you'd say yeah. feminist. Of course. I don't mind I being feminine. Bloke, yeah, I could have asked a bloke. Does this trio dynamic remind you of speaking to um, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I'm getting similar. I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> I I can see you there in in your shoulder pads with your blow dried hair. Gosh, that, um, um, yeah, that Chelsea's so, formidable, isn't she? Yeah. She's a super smart cookie. Yeah, that was it. Was obviously a really amazing it interview to brilliant. get, and it it was incredible. But it 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 was weird in some ways because I had not known whether both of them were going to be at the interview and. I knew it was either going to be Hillary on her own or the both of them together. And I didn't want to upset the dynamic of how it was all playing out by being too precise about, yeah, but who exactly is going to be there? So I just prepared for both eventualities. And when I first got there, it was just Hillary. And then Chelsea kind of appeared. (laughs) And so we did the interview with both of them, which was fantastic because I really wanted a chance to show that intimacy that they have. And it was nice to have the two of them playing off each other. and, and, And Chelsea kind of encouraged her mother to talk more about her story. Because I think when, before Hillary Clinton... Uh, lost the election in inverted commas lost Mm. um she I think didn't really like talking about herself in inverted commas as a woman she wasn't really very keen on that feminist narrative if anything she wanted to say like don't vote for me because I'm a woman vote for me because I'm an excellent Mm. politician and it was only really afterwards that she has started to talk more about that narrative and talk about her life in lots of different environments where she was the only woman throughout her career you know from she talked to like her first public speaking class at school she was the only woman and then in the law she was the only woman you know she's one of the only women who's been secretary of state and all of those things but I think she'd been so used to avoiding that conversation that it was really great to hear her yeah. talking very openly about it and and Chelsea kind of encouraging her it was a great I because I, I was frank yeah yeah, I was worried because you know the way these things work as well, that it's really agreed by a publicist. It's not her personally who's agreed to the interview. So you never know when until you get in a room with somebody that she might say, well, I don't see why your podcast is aimed at women. You know, why do women need special help with their public speaking? Which is actually pretty much what Sandy Toxvig said when I started an interview with her. And of course, she's right. You know, you're right to say that. You know, why are we offering women this special help and saying, you know, you must be having problems with public speaking. Why don't we help you here? What's that about? You know, that is really, really interesting. But 
Hillary Clinton was almost like the opposite. She was like, yeah, I totally see why you're doing this. I totally see why women want to open this conversation and ask, what does it look like when you own a room? Let's talk about that. And I think maybe five or 10 years ago, I don't think, I think she would have shut that down. I think you're absolutely right. It was brilliant. And it's great that you had the two of them because you're right. There was a really good dynamic between the two of them. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It's an Good luck with your you babies. On. Thank you so much. It's been. A... Oh, I'm so sorry I couldn't see your babies. I know. We'll send you pics another time. We're really grateful. You're going to ask your question about your guests at a restaurant, Shirley. What's your favourite eatery, um, Viv? Well, if ever anybody gets to go to an eatery ever again, yeah. Um, I soon. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm a mixture of um, the high and the low. So I am no stranger to McDonald's, okay. no matter just what reopened. people may it's say. just reopened. The drive-thru um, is anyway. Okay, yeah. So I, my, me and my nine-year-olds are probably the only ones who would go to McDonald's and everybody else will be against it, especially the vegan. Mm. Vegan won't like it. And so, yeah, I love McDonald's. I love Pratt. I miss Pratt at the moment, although my husband has recently been to Pratt in Oxford Circus, which was allowing six people in at a time um but i see then i like the high you know i love bob bob ricard which is the restaurant going to say that yeah you must yeah they have russian stuff on the menu and you press a button and people bring champagne it's it's so cheesy and you know come the revolution i will be up against the wall hiding the champagne button but yeah it it does what it says on the packet and it's amazing well, let's say you're in McDonald's in a booth. She's <laughs> not giving you Ricardo. No, no, no. Let's go, yeah. let's go McDonald's. And you had a booth. And you were allowed three other guests. Who would they be? Just really quickly now, Viv. Your three other guests. Oh, you're allowed just Michelle, okay, Ab- Michelle yeah. Obama, Oprah okay. Winfrey, and Shelley and Shelley. Thank you. We come as a one. I love that. We, we come it's as so one. Sweet. I know. It's so sweet to be included. Gosh, you're smooth, Viv. Aren't you, you are. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Well, listen, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank and you. And yes, listeners, you must subscribe to How to Own a Room. It's absolutely fantastic. Yes. Absolutely thank you so much, Viv. Thank you, Thank ladies. you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Wowzers. Wowzers. Um, that's an overachiever right there. I mean, it really is. Also, have you seen that she's recently had two books out? One's called Au Revoir Tristesse. Lessons in Happiness from French. And the other one... Lift as you climb. Lift as you climb. Exactly, mm. the art of ambition. Who knocks out two books in 2020? The year where there have been nothing but a lockdown. They've got stop. Shirley, we've got a lot to learn. We really do. We have a lot to learn. But it's never I too late to start. Way, it's never too late to start. And I think the artist's way is really going to see us there. Yeah. So, yes, wonderful. Join us next week. Do, where we'll be right. talking more nonsense. Me, myself, and Shirley. Thank Bye you. for now. Bye. You've been listening to Motherfunk with Shirley and Shirley, otherwise known as Joanna Carolan and Pascal Wilson, produced by Mabel Productions. Tune in and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.